Yeah, so um, you said it. There's a team of women. They're called the Coxless Crew, and they rowed a 29-foot pink ocean rowing boat um, across the entire Pacific Ocean from America to Australia. Um, They rowed 24 hours a day, two hours on, two hours off. They had no support boat, no follow boat. I wasn't there on the boat. (laughs) They were completely alone. Um, And I'm the director, producer of the film, and it's been an adventure putting it together over the last two and a half years. Okay, so if you weren't there, how did you make this film? I was introduced to the Coxless crew about two and a half months before they left, so it all happened really fast. I'm not a rower, not an athlete, so I was thrilled to find out that I couldn't go with them. However, um, I wanted them to tell their own story, so I bought them cameras and I taught them how to use the cameras. Um, and I gave them hard drives and microphones so they could be fully self-sufficient out there in the ocean. And then what I did is I met them along the way. It was a three-stage journey from San Francisco to Hawaii, Hawaii to Samoa, Samoa to Australia. Um, and I was there every time on land when they would stop for about a week or 10 days at a time to restock their boat. And I would collect the footage they had shot. I would supply them with new equipment and interview them about the journey they had just gone on. So it was a combination of land and sea footage to put the whole thing together. 8,000 miles, four women, one pink boat, world's records. You get to help them tell their story. Why did they do this? Yeah, they wanted to challenge themselves. They wanted to see if it was possible. You know, they, they set two world records um, in doing this journey, um, and no one had ever, a team of four had never rode across the Pacific before, especially in this what, what they call a continuous three-stage row where they didn't stop on land for a long period of time. It was literally just a week. So this had never been done before. Also, they were raising money for breast cancer care as well as a UK-based charity called Walking with the Wounded, which helps injured service women. So they, there was a charitable aspect, but truly the, the motivations were more internal and each one of them had a different kind of angle on it and reason why they needed this journey at this point in their lives. And it's important to note that they weren't professional athletes. They have not been rowing their entire lives. This was a challenge they all saw as something they wanted to try, and they trained, but they are in no way, you know, professional athletes, which is why I really loved the story to begin with. 29 feet is not a lot of feet when we're talking (laughs) boat here. And there's four women on there who need to do things like, you know, go to the ladies' room and things like this. (laughs) How did they live? As you'll see in the film, the boat's called Doris. And it has two cabins. So the way it works is only two would be rowing at a time, and the other two would be in the cabins um, doing boat maintenance or writing their blog or filming for the movie um, or sleeping, most importantly. So they were worked in two-hour shifts. Um, they never missed a shift. There was no, like, I'm feeling hungover or tired and I can't make it this morning. They never let each other down. They were an incredible team. And the film, as a result, is, is really a story about friendship and perseverance um, and the power of the human spirit. But logistically, yeah. they, <laughs> the way they went to the bathroom, for example, is they had a bucket on the boat, very unglamorous, just bucket and check it. They all shared the same bucket. Oh, my heavens. Um, so it was, uh, <laughs> uh, they were constantly salty with the ocean water. They were incredibly hot at most of the time, especially on the second leg and beyond of the journey. It was 99 degrees Fahrenheit, even inside the cabin. There was no escape, no solace, nothing cold. So you can imagine this is really hell for yeah, a nightmare hell. for most people. Um, and 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 how did they feed themselves? So so how many? What's the yeah. longest stretch that they were out on the water? Like days? Yeah. Um. The second leg of the journey was supposed to take about sixty days from Hawaii to Samoa, and it ended up taking ninety-seven. Days. Wait a minute. They were in that boat for ninety-seven days. Oh yeah. I mean, the the journey in total is nine months 
with only really a week in between each leg. So this is a pretty insane amount of time to spend on that boat, 257 days at sea. And the longest stretch was 97 days at a time. And remember, they're not even standing up straight. There's no impact on the boat. You know, they're, you're constantly kind of finding that balance. But in terms of food, they had all the food they were going to eat on the boat each leg. They had expedition food, freeze-dried ration packs, so like powdered form of beef curry or shepherd's pie, and they would heat it up with a jet boil. They would make their own water on the boat and eat what essentially was baby food, you know, like mush. Um, pretty gross. But oh. they also had uh, snack packs with, with some chocolate and some more treat type yeah. things, but those ran out pretty quickly. I can't go three days without fresh arugula, <laughs> so please. Right? I mean, it's very, very, I can't wait to meet these women. I'm going to watch the movie on Netflix, right? Yes. Yes, please do. Now, let me ask you a, a, a logistical question about the filmmaking. Okay, you mm-hmm. sent them with the cameras, but you dedicated how much time, like a year of your life to this event too, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, this has been the last two and a half years of my life. Um, the filming was nine months, and I never, even though I wasn't on the boat, I still had quite an adventure on land, you know, seeing where they were, trying to plan the next shoot. You know, I wasn't booking a plane ticket to Samoa, which, by the way, is in the middle of absolutely nowhere, in the mm-hmm. middle of the Pacific, uh, like until two days before they were going to be there. I mean, it was just crazy. My mm-hmm. whole life was uprooted, you know, waiting to see where that little pink dot on the GPS tracker would be. So it was it was crazy, but but a risk worth taking because this story is so extraordinary and I really wanted to help them tell it. So here's the question I want to ask, and forgive me if it's not delicate. So you give up, like, you know, two, over two years of your life and nine months of filming. How do you get paid? Yeah, so the way I funded the film was I invested a lot of my own money, which is very scary. You know, when they rode away from San Francisco in April 2015, they pretty much rode away with my life savings, and I didn't know if I'd have a story on the other end. But something was speaking to me and told me, you know, to, to keep going. I had this sort of gut reaction to them, even though I don't know anything about rowing. This film was never about that to me. I also brought on investors. Audra and Courtney Smith are incredible people that believed in me from the start. They're my executive producers. I was awarded four different grants for the project. I applied endlessly to grants. Um, I did a little bit of what I call casual crowdfunding. I didn't have a formal campaign, but I did accept, you know, private donations. So all of the ways, it was incredibly difficult to raise the money. And fortunately, we made this incredible deal with Netflix. And so I'll be able to be paid back as well as my investors and finally get a salary from from our Netflix deal, which is really wonderful. And and that's just the beginning. We're, We're creating revenue in other ways from iTunes and Amazon and Um, in-person events, so it's really exciting. Yeah, wonderful. Okay, so did you have the Netflix deal when they shoved off? Oh, absolutely not. (laughs) The um, Netflix deal didn't come until the film was done, so it was a very scary, um, risky process. You just never know if you're making anything that's any good, and and then suddenly this big piece of the perfect news. Netflix has always been my number one choice for this film. In fact, I wrote it down as my goal, you know, from the start. So I'm, I'm so grateful that they saw the potential in this film. And it's really a universal message. The tagline is everyone has a Pacific to cross. So yes. I think that yes. anyone in the world can, yes. can get something from this movie. And so uh, it's in 190 countries. It's subtitled in 25 languages. And we're also doing a, a world tour with the film. So I'm in New York now, headed to Bentonville, Arkansas for a film festival. Then we're off to England and then South Africa. So if you happen to be in any of those countries, you can go to <laughs> LosingSightOfShore.com and you can join us and see it on the big screen. Fabulous. LosingSightOfShore.com. We are on our way there. Sarah, what'd you get? where'd you get your first Emmy? Um, I made a short documentary prior to, this is my second feature, Losing Sight of Shore. I made a short documentary 
and we won a Chicago Midwest Emmy Award, and I'm so grateful. I, I hope to have a long career in film. Yeah, well, you're off to a great start, and I want to know where you take your vision board classes, because I think they're paying <laughs> off. Right? <laughs> and where can we go for more information about you? Um, I'm on social media. You can find me on Instagram at Sarah Moshman, S-A-R-A-H-M-O-S-H-M-A-N, and also on Twitter at Sarah Mosh.